Welcome to the Mission Matters Podcast, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old-plus mission that is St. Louis U, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. It's not uncommon for people in direct social services to receive the question, what difference can one person make in the face of systemic brokenness? When systems are broken and individuals are trying to do their best within those systems, how do we deal with the question of how big of a difference can one person make? Looking at the incarnation, Jesus Christ came into the world as an infant, as one individual person. One person comes into the world and with the community formed around that one person, the entire world shifts. Together, we are called to build the reign of God, here and now. In the Lord's Prayer, when we say, Thy kingdom come, it doesn't mean later or tomorrow. Thy kingdom come today, here, now, through me, through you, through us. Welcome back to Mission Matters, where uh, we are privileged today to have as our guest two juniors here at SLU. Liam John, who is a student of public health, and Audra Yeomans, who studies biology and sociology. So Liam and Audra, welcome to Mission Matters. Thanks for having us. So you have come highly recommended by one of our campus ministers. And so specifically what your experiences have been people out there who are suffering from the cold and suffering from hunger and uh, lack of shelter. So in SLU's history, faculty and students have been trying to open a shelter on campus run by students. And then like four or five years ago, during the polar vortex, it was extremely cold. And Devin Thomas, a student during the time, went to Dr. Smith and said, we need to open a shelter and wouldn't leave until one was open. So that night and for that winter, they opened a shelter run by the students in a very low barrier manner uh, at Il Monastero, which for the rest of the podcast, we'll call Barrera Church, which is a more historical name for the church. And then the year after they got uh, Manresa, the retreat center on Sluice campus, which is individual rooms and has showers. And so Devin and Dr. Smith and other students were involved in creating this student-run shelter in a low barrier manner. And so COVID happened and uh, it didn't run again because there's hesitancies with COVID, obviously, and we don't want to create even more harm. And so I started working in this like sort of area through the student-run shelter my freshman year before COVID hit, the February before COVID hit, and that was at Manresa. Um, Yeah, anything that we do goes back to the work that Devin, Dr. Smith, and all the students during that time did. Thank you. Audra, you want to add anything else to that? Yeah, so very well said. Um, Everything that Liam and I have both done has definitely been piggybacking off the work of others. I mean, just continuing to move that work forward. So I had a very similar story, like coming into this work. Um, I joined Liam that summer. So the very first summer of COVID, we started getting involved in other ways throughout the city. So yeah. And just a background on that church. So in uh, when it was Mill Creek Valley, there was about 40 churches and Barrera was one of the 40 churches and it was a black Presbyterian church. And then 
when it became a Cleed town. Uh, it was the only church remaining out of all 40 of those churches from what I've learned. And then SLU acquired it somewhere along the line. So that's why we're keeping the name. And it was a big civil rights church during that time. So it's a lot of history and social action and community organizing. But yeah, so this summer we had a cooling shelter at Barrera. And then when winter came around, there was a plea for a building. And so we got Barrera again. And so we've continued to use Barrera and there's still people there today. And I think it should be going on until the 14th or so, somewhere around there. And it's 24 seven safe haven. So safe haven is a low barrier model for shelter where people that can't do curfews or need a little bit more support. It's to make sure that everyone is inside during the freezing cold. So how is it staffed? Who's taking care of these folks? Yeah, so we're fully staffed by volunteers and just very, very recently, um, a few people are shift leads um, who are not everyone, but some of them are possibly getting stipends from the St. Louis COC. Um, but other than that, everyone is fully volunteer unpaid donation based. Um, so that could be anyone from the many students have been there to um, folks who work with St. Pat's Center or um, places for people or other service providers in the city, as well as activists and very prominent activists and some folks from Tent Mission STL and Unhoused STL and Winter Outreach and things of that nature. So it's been very much kind of a collective effort. So you said it's 24-7, so that means there are shifts going on all through the night. Yep, every shift is about three to four hours, and the overnight shift's about six. So you'll be there about 1 a.m. to 7 a.m. is how we've been running it so far. And is it shelter only, or is it also meals provided? Yes, yeah, so as much as we can, we always have um, breakfast and dinner provided, and we do our best to also provide lunch because everyone deserves three nutritious meals a day. But that's also all been donation. A lot of... Um, Restaurants have been helping us out with that and catered donated meals and things of that nature. And there's also some people who have personally like made the meals in their homes for us as well. And about how many people can be served at that particular location, for like say for an overnight? Especially right now with like the extreme weather and cold, we're sitting at about 65 and we wish we could have a lower number. Um, we wish we didn't need all 65 of those because that's our pushing our very top capacity, past our capacity, honestly, just a little bit depending on the night. Right now we're sitting about 65. And part of that is due to the lack of response from the city. And so almost every single thing in the city right now is being run by volunteers. So about 200 beds, right, are volunteer run and motivated. And then there's about 100 city funded beds. And so it's always an emergency response uh, that volunteers come up and create these options. And so the overbooking of beds due to that because we just don't want anyone out there in zero degree weather and covered in snow like you would. So how have these experiences affected you? How have they shaped the way you think or the way you see or how have they changed you personally? I mean it's obviously been very hard at times um, just with the amount of work we've been doing to compensate for the lack of work the city's been doing that we mentioned but in general um, as I'm sure you could like guess, it's been very eye-opening the past two and a half years or so, just to see the numbers of people who are unhoused, how little access to shelter they truly do have. And then it's also been really interesting to see how some people who aren't super educated in the topic respond. So like possibly could have been the way I was responding, you know, five years ago or whatnot. It's really interesting to see the mentality of like people don't want to work, people don't have jobs, that's why they're unhoused. 
when like that honestly cannot be any further from the truth. Um, and there's just such a complex intersectionality in the unhoused population. It's been really, really interesting to see and learn about. And um, honestly, just like build relationships with the unhoused people that I've met and continue those relationships and the relationships with the other workers that have been putting in countless hours and things like that has been what's really like stuck out to me the most. Yeah, similarly. So I said I was in public health. That's my major. And so I think that it's interesting to change my mindset, especially going into public health, where I think a lot of this needs to happen, but changing my mindset to more of a harm reduction mindset. So when we talk about like drug use or any sort of like behavior, I think that our society is very stigmatized. And so they think that like to get housing, you should get clean first. And from what I've experienced working shelters, when you are more open to just like talking about things, there's a lot more openness. And this isn't saying that everyone on the street is drug user because it's not true, but I'm saying that in terms of like any sort of thing, not even drugs, whenever we give people the option to choose their own path, it a lot of times creates more of what they want for their lives. So like, instead of us telling people how to live their lives, uh, which is an invasion and it can also be very harmful uh, because we don't have the same mindsets. I don't have the same mindset as Audra. Audra doesn't have the same mindset as me, so I can tell her what to do. A lot of times when we create more partnerships instead of like this service mentality, it creates more relationships and more trust and a lot more can happen. How do you deal with the systemic problems? You know, you've referenced trouble with the city, trouble with changing mindsets or changing attitudes and opinions. How do you deal with the systemic problems? I'll take a shot at this one and then Audrey, you can. So I think that a lot of my like burnout, yeah, stress and anxiety comes from the systemic problems. So right now our city has about $21 million from the federal government, from the ARPA funds, the Emergency Rescue Plan Act. And then they have another round coming up later in April. But those funds aren't being utilized because of barriers and how they have to be used. There could have been better planning in that. But like now we're at the place where they can't be used right now. And so it's really frustrating that the system can't work and the system's broken. But we we knew the system was broken, right? And so that's where community comes into play. So I believe in like community love and community power. And through this Winter Haven project, the Safe Haven project that we've been doing between the SLU Barrera Church and then now Bethel Church uh, run by Unhoused STL and the Unhoused Union, we're seeing so much community power and Winter Outreach STL. So Winter Outreach, the people that like have created this for the past 23 years by like Tekka and other people that have like started it and run it. It's now our city like policy at this point is to rely on Winter Outreach. So relying on volunteer run things. And so seeing the amount of like community power and love and seeing like whenever there's a need in our community, that's when people will step up and take on the charge. But looking at the systems in general, it's really frustrating. And our city has a lot of work to like dismantle those systems and create new ones that are more accepting of people that need different shelter options like Safe Haven or medical respite. So there's a lot and more like housing options. Obviously, everything that was just said, I fully agree with. Um, Just to add on to that, though, the question of how do you solve the systemic issue and 
I'm sure many people would not agree with me when I give my opinion on this. But like Liam said, it's the community that's going to solve that issue. And by solving it, it's dismantling what's currently there. It's basically not starting over because Winter Outreach and all these um, different organizations have been working for the last 23 years, which is longer than Liam and I have been alive. So it's not that Liam and I are going to solve it necessarily or anything like that. But solving it, we're past that, in my opinion. And it's time to fully dismantle the system that is in place and build from the ground up based on the work that's been done for the past 23 years. Over the past two years, this like safe haven idea has become a real push uh, for like institutional change, getting a, a safe haven up and running that's not volunteer run. The newest like budget for the ARPA funds, like what they were going to allocate funds for included one point something million dollars for safe haven. And so based off of our volunteer run things and intentional encampment, which was something that People have been asking for it for a while, but it really got popularity during the pandemic when there was tent in communities that pushed the city to appreciate them more. And so we're seeing that like through the new ARPA fund like allocations that the city's like recognizing this and that maybe hopefully next year we can see that those things create institutional change in how homelessness is viewed in our city. I think it's also really important to mention that there are groups that have tried to go through the city as that option. Obviously, many groups have, but specifically for a safe haven at Bridge of Hope, um, they did all the right things. They put in the proposal, they wrote the proposal, and their proposal was denied. So they got no funding. They did not open, even though they could house up to 100 people in that safe haven model between their two buildings. In addition to being denied the first time, during this most recent crisis, the past two weeks or so, they tried to partner with another service provider and say, well, can we reevaluate and do even more work for you? And they were denied again. So that's why our safe haven at Berea and the one currently running at Bethel Church run by Unhoused STL and the Unhoused Coalition are now here and don't have any money and they're all volunteer run and everything. So what does the larger SLU community need to hear from you? How can, you know, folks who are listening, how can they help? How can they think about this? What would be helpful? There's like two or three parts to that. So one, I don't know if there's like a centralized location, but like any of my social media or like Unhoused STL, Tent Mission STL, we always share opportunities for people when we need volunteers in emergency. And when we're in emergency, that means like two hour notice, you know? So we always need people and there are options on campus for people that can't drive. So anyone open to volunteering at our shelters or when we have actions uh, in the city, being open to those. So being open to listening and knowing that it's a lot bigger than just one person. So that's part one. And then part two, this winter, a lot of outreachers that have been around for 40 plus years have said it's one of the worst winters they've seen in St. Louis based off of like city response and Part of that's due to the pandemic and we can't like squeeze cots into shelters, but part of it is due to the lack of support. And so if we go through in the spring and summertime with actions um, in terms of like requesting more funding and more support. And then third, Midtown is not necessarily our home. It's home to Mill Creek Valley, Laclede Town and the Gaslight District, uh, so many like historical towns that were displaced. And so appreciating and understanding that it's not just Slew's land, it's others' land too. And so how we can be um, good stewards of the land. And so if there's someone on the corner of 
like Forest Park and Grand being supportive and reaching out and giving food or um, asking what they want and seeing where you could support them and just becoming friends with our local neighbors. I would definitely say, um, like Liam said, it's not necessary. It's definitely not ours, even though we tend to live on it for most of the year. So that looks like a lot of different things, like Liam mentioned, getting directly involved or even just in your day-to-day life, make eye contact with the person flying the sign. Don't run past the Circle K at 11 a.m. Like you'll be okay um, on your way up grand and just, just like little mental changes like that. I think that's where the change is going to happen. I'm struck by the fact that both of you just keep circling around the same simple concept, which is engaging people in relationship. You know, it's people, it's just people. And the fear, I guess, or the lack of experience with individuals who are homeless or with individuals who are hungry or with individuals who are addicted, that lack of experience, stereotype, judgment, all of that gets in the way of forming those healthy relationships, of forming any relationship, really. Um, so I'm a big proponent of uh, re- community. And so, um, like you were saying, that relationship piece, anytime we can come together in community uh, and break down like historical barriers that keep us apart, that's the best. Audrey, you have anything to add to that? I really want someone to give me a bus. I really want a bus. I'm going to use it for outreach. It'll be used for very good things. It could be transportation for people. It could be outreach. It's a one-stop shop. That's the goal in the next six months. If anyone wants to give me a bus, I will be happy to meet with you for several hours and tell you about why I want it. So I just want to take this opportunity. Uh, Liam and Audra, thank you very, very much for taking your time today. I know you are busy tending to people um, as we are recording this. It is in the single digits out there. We are on our second snow day. And so that means that there are an awful lot of people out there who are suffering from the cold and suffering from hunger and uh, lack of shelter. All right. Thanks so much. Be safe. Okay. Thank you for um, allowing us to come chat. And for those who are listening, don't forget to follow us on social media at SLU Jesuit Mission. And if you know of a colleague who is living the mission out loud, but seems to be hidden in plain sight, contact us in the Office of Mission and Identity. And until next time, let's remember, especially in this Ignatian year, we are one SLU where mission matters. You can engage the mission intentionally here at SLU, and you can encounter it randomly. But good luck graduating without ever touching it in some way. God bless everyone.